You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. This is Ken Jones. Welcome to our podcast radio show, number seven, what I like to call our podcast, a production of the new Ornamental Water Feature Academy. I am the Prince of Ponds. Come join us down at the pool, because court is now in session. Today we're going to learn about the power of the matrix. The matrix is used to create floating islands. It may not be what you think. Why may we want floating islands for our pond or lake? But first, I have a couple of announcements. I invite you to listen in on our new podcast, Pet Tech. Pet Tech is available for your listening pleasure at PetLifeRadio.com. Pet parents who listen to Pet Tech also get to win free pet merchandise. It's fun and easy. Be sure to join in. On an upcoming show, we're going to do something special. Tiki Brian will be joining us to play some tropical music perfect for listening to near our water gardens. Tiki Brian has his own music show and he's going to teach us about the tiki pop culture of the 50s and 60s. It will be a lot of fun, not to be missed by any pond owner. So tell your friends to start listening to Prince of Ponds. I am thrilled to be able to bring you this show to have fun while answering your most pressing questions. Send them to me by email at ken at princeofponds.com. I will answer back by email and I may use your question on the program. As with my prior episodes, there are wonderful photos and additional information available for you on the episode show notes page on our website. Articles on related topics can also be found on our website library. Visit ornamentalwaterfeatureacademy.com or princeofponds.com. Both addresses take you to the same place where the Prince of Ponds podcast lives. Prince of Ponds will be right back after these messages. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. Betty White, what's the number one pet radio network in the world? Pet Life Radio. Season Milan, the dog whisperer. What radio network has over 5 million monthly listeners and over 50 pet talk shows? Pet Life Radio. Rachel Ray, where is the best place to reach potential customers if you have a pet business? Pet Life Radio. Put your business in front of over 5 million pet parents with a radio ad on Pet Life Radio, the award-winning number one pet radio network on the planet. Call our sales department today 
toll free at 877-385-8882. That's 877-385-8882. Or email us at sales at PetLifeRadio.com. Steve Wozniak, if Apple was a pet business, where would you advertise your eyelash on Pet Life Radio? Aquariums and pond keeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Now our feature topic, Floating Islands. Today I have a guest that I've been looking forward to having for quite a while, Laddie Flock is the CEO of Floating Islands West, and we're going to talk about floating islands today. Laddie deals with floating islands on a scale that uh, many of us uh, might find hard to even imagine. This technology, though, is also applicable to backyard ponds, and we're going to do our best to tell this story without getting too technical, because it, it gets into a lot of detailed biochemistry. But for those that have been looking for some of that on this show, we'll, we'll have some of it for you today, I think. Uh, Laddie, are, are you with us? I am, Ken. Thank you, and thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us and tell us about what you're doing. To start with, what are floating islands? Floating islands is a technology that is about 10 to 12 years in the making. Uh, the first questions that uh, arrived was, how can we clean water? You know, recognizing the problems that we have within our watersheds today, whether they're backyard ponds or the ocean and anything in between, there's some real problems or challenges that are there, and not necessarily all related to human activity, but certainly human activity around water presents its own challenge. Uh, Floating islands were thought of because you can put this floating application anywhere you want, Within a water body, you know, it can be placed where water is coming in. It can be placed where water is is exiting that particular watershed. Or it could be used centrally or uh, systematically within a strategic placement. So the development of the material was closely uh, looked at and plastic, uh, PET-1, PET-2 are plastic bottles ended up being the medium of which the matrix or the island itself was made from. So just to make sure everybody's keeping up with us here, when we're talking about floating islands, we are not talking about the recreational type where you might put a little hut on it and take it anywhere in the world you can float it a, a boat. This is not a boat substitute, and it's not for any kind of recreational purposes, although you do have, that's not entirely true. I know you you have some ingenious use of this technology that's... Uh, uh, has some recreational elements to it, but it is primarily meant to be a serious solution to serious water quality problems. Is it, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, I, I think you hit it. Uh, 
you hit it perfectly. And it, and you make this out of a, um, you call it a matrix, which is like a, a pad. It's like a woven pad or like some of us in ponds, we're familiar with filter pads. And this is like giant plastic pad material that you construct these islands. And, and how big are some of these islands? Well, uh, today, well, up until about a couple of weeks ago, the largest island of which we had made uh, and floated was a uh, 40,000, almost one acre in size. An acre and in size. <laughs> yeah, and it weighed, uh, the total weight on it uh, was 880 tons. Whoa, this is dry? Uh, yeah, 880 dry. tons of dry woven plastic bottles. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, there was something like, I don't know, it was 2.5 million plastic bottles. that it I was going to ask you it. that, if you knew how many bottles went into this thing. Yeah. Whoa, it, oh, okay. Now I've seen I've seen small versions of these that one could easily put in into a, even a small backyard pond, and it, it, would that be the same basic same idea as this woven pad? Exactly. How does a plastic pad floating around in the water do anything good for the water? Now that's the interesting stuff, and I'm going to be quiet here and let you explain that because I know it's a little complex, but that's the fascinating part of this thing. What the heck does this plastic pad do? Well, it really just sits there, and then nature does uh, all of the rest. So it's a tool, you know, and it doesn't, it's not uh, energized. It becomes a bioreactor. Hmm. And so it's a house that takes in the components that's in your water. So the first thing that happens is that you float this thing, and, and it's either tethered, anchored, or allowed to freely move with the wind. The component of the woven material, it's actually a non-woven material, is that it absorbs and connects to a lot of the biofilm. So in your water, if you were to take a microscope, uh, even some of our drinking water, you could take a microscope and you can see elements within that water. And that's biofilm. That's just part of what water is. And biofilm is there in order to develop some of the remediation processes that go through, so it attracts microbes, bacteria. You can start seeing some of the green things that grow on the bottom of this island, and the longer it's in the water, the greener it gets. And basically what's happening is that it's colonizing bacteria. That bacteria is responsible for taking care of a lot of the nitrate loads that are uh, in, within your water column. So this encourages, this basically functions like what the, most of us hobbyists would know as a biofilter. Exactly, yeah. It, Only instead of circulating water through gravel, which would be hard to imagine how you could possibly do that on a lake, we're doing it with these big floating islands. That is correct, yeah. And what makes the island a better way of doing it than other ways? There's something kind of special about this whole concept. It's, it, it has power. How is it so effective? Why is it so effective? Well, it, I think, again, it's a tool, and, and it's a tool that uh, accumulates a lot of the bacteria, and the bacteria is responsible for, for transferring pollutants into a usable form. One of the things that we do with this island is that we also plant it, and that's part of the beauty of the island itself is that you can select the kinds of plants that fit into some cord holes that we make on the island itself. So it's a beautification. So the combination of the accumulating biomass 
on the island itself. And then with the addition of the plants and its developing root structure that goes out the bottom of the island, it creates that surface area of which microbes can perform in cleaning that water body. Now, it, it gets a little complex, but many of our water bodies create suspended solids, for example, colloidals and other things that stay in the water column that, that really cloud uh, our backyard ponds. And aesthetically, they, you know, it's, when you look into a pond and you can see the fish and you can see the substrate and the gravels down below, that's pleasing. When you can't see through the water, then it really does depreciate the value of that uh, of your reason for having that, mm-hmm. and uh, one that's one of the attributes that the islands, the tool uh, allows to to perform is the pulling out of those suspended solids as well as the nitrate. But dissolved oxygen, either the availability or the lack of, also equates to a healthy pond or a non-healthy pond. And dissolved oxygen in a water column usually is produced by two different ways. Uh, one is circulation, and the other is aeration, putting an aerator within your system. Uh, so a healthy column is going to have oxygen from top to bottom. And, and we know how many parts per million that is healthy for X species. There are many things that happen within a pond that the dissolved oxygen is used and used up. And so it's very uh, easy to have a backyard pond or a reservoir that is really at different intervals within the year a depleted source of the things that allow things to live and grow, and that's the dissolved oxygen. So the tool performs pulling a lot of those elements out that would then deplete that available oxygen source. As I understand it, part of kind of what makes these islands so special is because of all that incredible surface area and the spaces between all that surface area, it provides this, you can imagine this mat floating in the water creates quite a a concentrated, I think that to me, that seems to me that the secret power of this thing, of these floating islands, is there's such a concentrated environment for beneficial bacteria and beneficial biology, you know, all this whole, all these microorganisms living in these mats give you the benefits of, of um, biological filtration and a, a micro environment that's that's highly concentrated. So it does more good faster than anything else we got going. You are, you know, we often. Uh, it depends on what your studies are, but algae is a common name that, that <laughs> anybody that a has a pond knows, on algae. knows yes. all about that. And, uh, but in a sense, uh, algae is nature's way of trying to help a watershed uh, clean itself. So it really does perform a function, but it's a monoculture. And so it, it doesn't provide a very broad beneficial role. Uh, it will absorb and take up uh, some of the nitrate loads, the ammonias and the nitrogen and the phosphorus. But if you were to compare a floating mat with subsequent roots growing through, we commonly relate that equation to 84 to 1. So for every square foot of island compared to every square foot of algae, the efficacy or the benefit is multiplied times 84. 
<laughs> See, I hadn't heard that before. That's yeah, that's amazing. That's a big a big difference. I knew intuitively that just all that space and all that uh, surface area had to be uh, just a rich opportunity for an, an incredibly dense micro environment. But you add to that the plants, which of course may, you know look nice on the top, and, the, and more than look nice, I know you've used some of these islands to create habitats for uh, aquatic birds and for breeding grounds. So that's a whole nother benefit we haven't gotten into yet. But the, just the idea of all these plants growing with their roots growing through these mats and dangling down below. Now you've created a whole nother very dense uh, environment with a lot more surface area and a lot more environment for these beneficial organisms. So those two things combined to me uh, just gets me all excited about these floating islands. And also uh, with me, Ken, uh, you know, we, we certainly agree on that. It's, you know, in the beginning, the island had a particular uh, criteria, a destination of trying to increase its uh, efficiency. And then as we studied and looked and observed, we were able to ask uh, additional questions. And it's, it's like this almost every day. Every time we answer a question, there's three more questions that come forward. But one of the most beneficial roles that the islands, uh, we see them providing benefit for, is fish habitat. Ah, and, yes, fish and, habitat. Yeah, and I know hopefully many of the listeners are... Uh, fish enthusiasts, you know, koi is uh, is a beautiful fish, and mm -hmm. and uh, and enjoyed aesthetically, and uh, you know, they're many times they're pets, and these islands provide a very healthy environment for them. One of the best benefits related to fish that we have found is the development of a natural fish food called paraphyton. There's many components of uh, bacteria. And, and I could name 10 fairly quickly. Uh, but there's one that shines as far as some of the best healthy food that fish under one year or at least a fish under two years old can have for its growth. We found fish mortality rates working with uh, the fishing game. You know, their studies tell us that many of the smaller fish, if they haven't, accrued enough fat to get them through the cold months, the winter months when a natural food isn't available, then the mortality rate is incredibly high. And so a lot of our understanding of what this paraphyton does has, has come from studies like that. But paraphyton is an incredible food source. It is the best food source for fish, especially in the smaller categories. Yeah. What kind of organism is this paraphyton? It's a bacteria. Bacteria? Yeah. It's, it's uh, very much like zooplankton, uh, phytoplankton, diatoms. There's a number of diatoms that uh, commonly yeah. are fish food. You know, fish really, if you have fish in your water body, you just open up a number of potential cycles for that watershed to be able to go through. Without fish, your water column is different. You know, it performs totally different. Uh, a fish will have fecal matter. You know, it will provide <laughs> organic secretions, uh, ammonia, nitrate loads, and, it, you know, it's part of the cycle. Part of that uh, fecal matter becomes a benefit. The other parts of it are a detriment. And uh, so uh, to try to get a pond highly functional, uh, these islands help 
provide as a tool those functions to exist, especially when the nitrate loads are so mm-hmm. concentrated. It's time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. I don't make any decisions about who to hire without going to Angie's List first. You'll find reviews on home repair to healthcare written by people just like you. With Angie's List, I know who to call and I know the results will be fantastic. Angie's List, who you can trust. Go to Angie'sList.com forward slash best and get 25% off any subscription. That's Angie'sList.com forward slash best, B-E-S-T. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Welcome to Pet Tech, the podcast show about new technologies to help us care for our pets. I am your host, Ken Jones. Welcome to the show that helps you apply today's technology to make the care of your pets easier, safer, and more fun. I am the Pet Tech Guy, and this is the program where we talk about electronic tracking devices, high-tech nutrition, aquarium gear, filter systems, heating, lighting, computer controls, and much, much more. The new Pet Tech Show is available as a free podcast from PetLifeRadio.com, beginning in February of 2012. It is created as one of the new media production services of Ken Jones. Sponsorships are available. Enjoy Pet Tech. Pet Tech. And now we return to the show. So is it fair to say an island can help reduce the amount of algae you're going to have in your pond? It could aid your water clarity? In many cases, uh, you know, depending on the surface area of the island in relationship to the surface area of the total pond, it will eliminate algal growth. Uh, Now, algae happens to uh, perform in a number of different uh, ways. Some of it is suspended. It starts with little clumps. Usually algae will start developing in a warmer part of uh, your watershed. It's that temperature relationship to growth, just like a plant is. Sure. And it will also yeah. grow more prolifically in a dead water area. So there's no circulation. There's no turnover of that particular volume of water, and the concentrations can develop. 
but the islands in many cases, uh, and I'll give you an example. I have a two and a half acre pond here on our manufacturing site, and it was a cattle pond. It, it had a sludge layer that, you know, you stick your boot into it and your boot stays there and you keep going. <laughs> it had an algal growth all the way across the top, and, you know, there was some aquatic weed growth that was down below, but mainly it was the algae. We put the islands in three years ago, and there was a substantial difference the first year in the reduction of algae. There was still algae that was growing, especially around the edges. The second year, there was no algae. You know, there was evidence of some pond scum that would show up on the edge, but it never did develop into algae. And certainly, algae bloom, uh, the cyanobacteria, is something that you want is a problem in many of our watersheds, even our backyard ponds, if that algae happens to go to bloom, it releases a toxin. And that toxin is detrimental to, in some cases, the life of anything that is oxygen dependent. So anyway, this pond, we're, we're through our third year now. I just went out the other day and caught 30 fish within a two-hour span, investigated each one for sores, color, you know, there's, there's a couple of areas on a fish that you can identify if they're healthy or not. And each one of these fish, as it was pulled out, was uh, checked. And it was, they're beautiful. They're very healthy, very vibrant. Uh, they have food. They have clarity of water. They have a lack of contaminant within the water. And uh, they're happy. So anyway, as this pond is an example, many times the islands will deplete the nitrate load that algae requires in order for mm -hmm. it to grow. So it's a direct competition mm -hmm. to algae. We've talked quite a bit about the um, beneficial effects on the water that these uh, floating islands, these uh, habitats have. Let's talk a bit about the use above water, because I know they've been used for bird habitats and breeding as well. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience uh, with that? Yeah, there are, I'll give you an example. The endangered species, there's threatened species, and that's not necessarily all that we go after, but certainly it's to help a species to come back, you start developing an understanding of what they like as far as the habitat. You know, obviously they were, most of them, wherever we're doing our work, was there at some point in time, and now their numbers are depleted or they're actually gone from that area. So how can you bring them back? And you kind of have to put on your environmental hat and say, well, we want them back because they were here before and the ecosystem worked quite well. So it's a deb debatable subject, but bringing, creating habitat specifically for a species is certainly a process that you go through. So many times we'll put gravel on top of an island, we'll have a selected plant, we'll plant the island very densely in the middle, and as you work out towards the edge, it's sparse. You know, the ducks and geese like that. You know, they like to get back in. They want to be able to see out. They don't want, to, they don't want their view totally obscured. For example, the Caspian tern, uh, which is an incredible bird that happens to be a predator to the salmonid, is a, and the cormorants in this category also are very uh, sketchy. They don't want any obscurement mm -hmm. of view. So in those cases, we'll use mostly gravel. And actually, they nest in the substrate of the gravel to ultimately a fledging, and, and it flies away. So 
I'm going to come back and closer to home. Many of our parks uh, or those that have lakes that have a grass area and they, and they want to enjoy throwing a blanket out and having a picnic, if you have a lot of ducks and geese, I think everybody knows uh, what they have to contend with, and that's a lot of the fecal matter and, and uh, the evidence that the bird was, uh, and it may not be the most healthiest situation <laughs> to eat your lunch around. So if you can create an area uh, within your pond uh, that uh, the ducks and the geese and the other uh, types of birds would enjoy, they're going to spend a lot of time out there. Uh, and how you set that up is how long they will spend a time out. But certainly, ducks, uh, all of the birds have a problem, just like everybody, just uh, like we all do. Some of the problems that they have for endurance of life is predators. What we found is that uh, a predator, let's say a raccoon, a bobcat, uh, dogs, uh, cats, uh, all of those kind of uh, pets and animals. They love to go after the ducks and the geese and the eggs, and, and they certainly enjoy that as part of their life. But if you want to add a beneficial environment for that process, an island does an excellent job. Uh, because it's uh, a lot of those predators just can't get out to them there. They have some protection out there on a floating island. They Well, they could. In most cases, they can. You know, if you can get an island out far enough, in a lake system, there are certain types of animals that really don't have the swimming capability of getting out there, but certainly many of them do. And so it doesn't necessarily create uh, an imposing barrier that they can't get to, but uh, the old rule of thumb is the easier the meal, that's where they're going after. So if they have to swim out to get a, get a meal versus, uh, you know, hunt someplace mm-hmm. else, they're going to take the path of least, mm-hmm. of least resistance. So what, what percentage of the work you do would you say is for um, those kind of environmental purposes to create habitat as opposed to improving water quality? It's about, yeah, it's about half and half. Uh, yeah, is it? it's is it? interesting. Yeah. A lot of it is, is derived from available funding, and much of the funding for habitat comes from incredible groups, uh, the USGS. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers, but there's also uh, private organizations like the Audubon Society and the Wildlife Conservation, uh, the NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service. You know, there, there's there's an awareness by these organizations that to try to maintain status uh, with our environment and look at all of the the components of that, which are certainly the birds and the fish and the amphibians and and so forth, to allow some funding for the resourcement of habitat. So that really, in our world, dictates a lot of where we're going. If I were to identify one with this within this technology, it's fish. I'm, I'm an old fisherman. I used to fish the bass circuit years and years ago way before it got to the point of where it is now. Uh, I could not keep up with those guys today. They're very good. But anything to do mm-hmm. with fish is going to have a higher level of attention uh, from my standpoint. But certainly we're working in all of the realms. Yeah. 
Well, Laddie, can you um, quickly, uh, with the time we have left, can, do you have a favorite installation, something, a little story you could tell us uh, about uh, one particular project or another that you uh, that stands out in your mind? Well, there's many of them because, you know, we're out there in, in the elements, you know, when you, when your mustache uh, freezes and... <laughs> You know, and your hands don't work, and you still have to perform. You you can get, you can get some pretty get into some pretty uh, unusual situations. Yeah, I mean, because you folks have worked in both freshwater and marine water environments, have you not? We have, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> and water is wet when you fall into it. Yeah, it's so wet, it's, and uh, it can be cold too, huh? <laughs> and it can be very cold. Well, I think if I were to share one story, it it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, we were putting together a. Well, it was that 880-ton uh, island, mm. uh, and, and it, it, it was, it's huge. It, it's, it's almost one acre in size. And it was a watershed that was fairly shallow uh, that, uh, where we built this. And so we went out, and we put our anchoring system out in the middle of the water body. We selected strategically where it was to be placed, you know, with all of our questions and you know, hoping that we're right. So we needed to move that island from its launch point out to the anchoring point. And it was about a mile, mile and a half out. And we didn't have any big power boats because water was so shallow. What we had was 35 horsepower outboards. And so, you know, I did a little engineering, and it's feasible that you can move that that island. So, okay, yes, we're going to do it. So we stuck that outboard motorboat behind the island and cranked that thing up and we were churning mud out the back and uh, all this turbulence and we weren't moving. I mean, we did, we kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And you'd look at some reference point on the bank to see if you're making any ground at all. And all of a sudden, we started moving. And it, it you know, it slowly started moving as we were moving out and trying to turn and anticipate our turn and yeah success we were we were we were going out to the anchors not very fast but we were going out there with constant pressure so everything was good we were approaching the anchoring with the buoys sitting up and all of a sudden we wanted to stop the island it wasn't happening <laughs> All of that energy just kept going, and we floated right over the buoys. So we had to go on the other side and start the whole process again. But it was uh, it was one of those like you know, oh my gosh, what are we going to do here? But uh, anyway, no no trauma stories. It worked, and it, it was it was comical after we were all done and we were sitting around and talking about that. So so hard to get it going, and then uh, once it's going, you had so much yeah, momentum that you you couldn't stop it. It just kept right on going right past the mark, and, it had and you're no on your way to Tahiti. <laughs> no breaks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know that's a challenge. I don't think most people have to deal with. You know, get a acre sized island on target, and that's the point. I guess a lot of the work you do is is in the environment. You you can't preassemble all these things in a factory somewhere and just take them out and plop them in, you, you actually have to do some of your assembly out on the job sites in that all kinds correct. of environments, I imagine. Is there any downside to these islands? I mean, you don't use any chemicals, right? It's structural. You inoculate it with plants, at least. You add aquatic plants, marginal-type plants to these islands. Well, ultimately, the uh, floating island will become yes. what we mimicked or tried to mimic, natural occurring floating islands. 
So really, in a sense, you can look at I mean, you can look at it these these in a lot of ways. But one way is that the plants and the biomass will continue to grow. It's in a perfect situation. They want to grow. Their feet are wet. They're getting watered constantly. Their food is a nitrate source. They don't need you know anything else. If you can allow them to naturalize them, the strongest plant is going to take over. If you don't trim them. You, you have a, it was, it's just like a landscape. Over a period of time, if you were to take one of those islands and cut it in two and look at the inside of the matrix, it's hard to tell that there was even any plastic there because it, it has become a natural occurring floating island. Where the idea came from, actually, uh, there's a number of places still in this world that have natural occurring floating islands. So what happens is peat breaks apart on the substrate underneath the water. You know, it breaks apart in layer and it breaks apart because a lot of the bud, bugs and scuds and everything else have, are decomposing and that creates a biogas. So this peat floats to the top and then all of a sudden the volunteer seeds come on and, and the next year it's full of grasses uh, the one that we studied is uh, 30 acres in size. It's 19 feet deep wow. into the water column. Uh, who knows? Uh, I mean, there's thousands of trees huh. on this 30-acre huh. uh, floating island. And, uh, and one of the reasons why it was paid so much attention is because Bruce Kanye used to be uh, a guide, a fish and game guide. He, he made his living putting people on fish. And that's where he caught all of his fish was in and around that island setting because it, it's a it's a perfect attraction. It has everything that fish want. Mm -hmm. so, and uh, Bruce Kanye, yeah. he's the uh, the originator of these floating islands. Is an incredible gentleman. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's, he's questioning everything, and he's an inventor uh, by uh, his his natural thinking process. Uh, and he's assembled just an incredible group of uh, individuals who answer questions and perform research and develop. Well, I'd like to mention for the benefit of our listeners that these islands come not just in an island form, but you have uh, these structures called biodocks, which are, I think, fascinating because they're, they're floating docks made of the same material. Many also have areas for plants, but the point is they also have a solid walking surface, a dock that you can go out on and, and you can use it for launching boats or, you know, kayak landings or you could have picnic tables out there, uh, gazebos. You, you could grow vegetables on these islands if you wanted to. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those bio docks? You touched on something that, uh, you know, we haven't talked about, uh, but it's very valuable. And thank you for bringing it up. Many people live on lakes. You know, there's a lot of communities in the Keys and where you're enjoying a water course right out your back door. Well, what happens with that human interaction is many times the algae depletes the value because it's growing every year. And certainly there's every lake around us has that problem. So if you want to take a bite out of that element and, and help the profile of the lake we always and commonly say one island is better than no island. Uh, many times the question is, what's it going to take to clean this watershed up? Well, that may or may not be the most valuable uh, question because it may not be economically feasible 
to make it happen overnight or even in a year or two, trying, trying to turn these sheds back around again. But the biodocs is an, an opportunity for retrofit of matrix. So all, all you're doing is you're adding a bioreactor to your existing dock and you're performing a task that uh, if maybe your neighbors did that and your neighbor did that and neighbor did that, the difference in that watershed would be incredible over just a few years. So biodocs are a performing application. The other that we're studying now and we've just started down the path is creating coral. Huh. Anybody that has dove or snorkeled around a natural uh, coral bed understands that it's just full of life and the water is very clear and it's very healthy. So developing matrix without buoyancy, creating that coral reef uh, on the bottom does performs a number of valuable functions within within a watershed. So there yeah, there's many different applications. Wow. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard of that one. That's I could tell we're gonna have to have you back and talk some more. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> it is, we're running out of time and I have more questions for you that we, we just couldn't get to, but the thought of uh yeah, why not use this in a marine environment as well or something like it. Yeah, that's uh it's fascinating stuff. This uh concentrated biology and the benefits it can have on an aquatic environment. It must be very satisfying work that you're doing. I would encourage everyone to visit your website and especially check out the photographs. They really help one understand uh, what these things look like, what they are, and a little bit about how they work. And it's it's all very intriguing stuff. Would you tell us how people can get in touch with you to learn more about floating islands, Laddie? How, they get, how can they reach you and how can they learn more? Good. Uh, our uh, website is uh, Floating Islands West, and islands is plural, so floatingislandswest.com. The other website is the international website. That's floatingislandinternational.com, and we're, uh, we're a, a, on the core team of the international movement also. My home office number is area code 209-772-1442. And that's probably the best contact number if I'm out there to leave a message. And uh, even if you just have a question, you know, if you want to talk about the cost, the different applications for islands, you know, doing something today to improve our environment. And I'm not saying islands is the only answer. It's only one of them. But it's an incredible tool as we develop higher levels of understanding why it performs the way that it is to benefit to our environment. Well, no doubt about it. And, Laddie, I want to thank you for all, all that you're doing to help help improve our environment. Thank you, Ken. And thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Bye now. Some of you listeners are simply pond parents, and that's great. Some of you are pond hobbyists, and some of you work in the pond industry. Well, I have a pet project I want your help on. We all know that pet hobbies that involve the raising and breeding of animals is good for children. It teaches responsibility, discipline, and encourages learning. It gets kids outside and connecting with other kids with similar interests. Now, I've heard from industry leaders that lament that the interest by our youth in pet hobbies is down. The future of the industry is in question because fewer and fewer children are engaging in pet hobbies. 
they are seduced away by today's electronic gadgets and video games. I know this is true in my own home. Getting my two boys to get off the games and go outside is a constant struggle. I hear that pet clubs and aquarium societies don't have as many young members as they used to. Indeed, their membership is only getting older, and some worry that, well, where are all the new younger members going to come from? Well, I have a great idea for a solution to this problem, but it represents a lot of work. And before I proceed, I want your opinion. I want to hear about your experience and concerns. Is this really a problem? Are fewer and fewer kids taking up pet hobbies? Do you think something needs to be done about it for the health of children and the future of the pet industry? If so, please let me hear your thoughts. Email me at ken at com. What about your koi and pond club? How many children do you have as members? Do you want more youth involvement? I will do my best to relay your thoughts to the leadership of the pond and pet industries and just maybe put my idea for a solution into action. But let me hear from you at ken at com about this important question. Now tell your friends and family about the new Prince of Ponds podcast. Invite them to tune in. And I would so much appreciate you leaving a review comment on iTunes and voting for the show. This is a brand new show, you know, so we could use the boost. I have been remiss to not mention this before, but for those of you who could use some help with your projects, I want you to know that I am available for hourly consulting or project supervision. Just shoot me an email. You can reach me by email at ken at com. I would love to hear about your project. Until next time, splash me. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.